All right, tonight is going to be our last study in the book of Daniel, at least for a while. We're going to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. I I like my title tonight. It makes me smile. My title is this, Liars, Laws, and Lions. Liars, Laws, and Lions. Kind of sounds like something out of Washington, D.C., doesn't it? And in fact, a lot of what we're going to be reading tonight sounds like Washington, D.C. Now, I'm not trying to get in trouble tonight, but if you, if you need to send me an email, just don't. <laughs> Liars, lawyers, no. Liars, laws. <laughs> I am going to get in trouble. I can feel it. Liars, laws, and lions. Daniel chapter 6. Go ahead and turn to God's word there. Now, when you come to the book of Daniel, especially when you come to chapter 6, you need to understand Daniel chapter 6 is probably, probably the most familiar chapter in all the Bible, at least in the, in the, in the Old Testament. Um, it's familiar because it's one of those stories you... you you learned early, early on in life, Daniel and the lion's den. And if you were involved in church, if you were in children's ministry, if you, had, if you went to Sunday school, if you have, or back when, when I was going on Sunday night, when I was a little kid, we had sunbeams, I believe, or was that Sunday morning? Was that Sunday morning? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> no, in our little church, it was everybody. We, we just... But my point is, you've learned the story of Daniel and the lion's den since you were just knee-high to a grasshopper. So how in the world are you going to learn anything new tonight? Right? You already know this story. So how are you going to learn anything new tonight? Well, I hope you're not going to look at it with the eyes of a five-year-old. I hope you're going to look at it through the eyes of a grown-up now. And I hope you're going to look at it perhaps from the perspective of Daniel. Not just that you know the story, but do you really know the man in the story? Um, you see, it's really not a nice Sunday school story. Uh, it's really something so much more than that. Now, let me give you a little context about the book of Daniel. Daniel 6 is the end of part 1 of the book of Daniel. You look real quick, just flip through. How many chapters are in the book of Daniel? Twelve. So when you come to Daniel chapter 6, you're at the halfway point of the book. When you come to Daniel chapter 6, you're coming to the end of the first half. The first six chapters deal with the life and times of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, if you think about what we've studied, every chapter deals with either Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. So the first six chapters are about these individuals. The last six chapters deal with something totally different. The last six chapters deal with the end of time. So think about it in this term. The first half of the book is about a prophet of God, and the second half of the book 
is, a, is a, about the prophecies of God. So, tonight we're finishing the first half of the book, learning about the prophet of God. Perhaps at another time we can come back and deal with the second half of the book and deal with the prophecies of God. Now, if you've known anything about Daniel at all, and if you've studied him with us here on Sunday nights, you know that Daniel is not a wallflower. Daniel's not somebody that just blends in. He's not a person who, who just kind of blends into the crowd. Daniel is God's man. And in every chapter where he's mentioned, one of three things always happens in these uh, chapters describing his life. And in Anytime Daniel's mentioned in this book, number one, he's, he's promoted or recognized in some way. Daniel's God gets the glory for what Daniel did. And the lives of the people are impacted in a positive way. I mean, Daniel is God's man. He is a man's man, and God used him in a marvelous way. We started learning about, when we first started learning about Daniel, he was a teenager. Daniel chapter 1. He's a teenager. By the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, he's in his 80s, maybe in his 90s. So uh, the, the six chapters cover a long span of his life. So remember now, to, when we're looking tonight at Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, you're reading the story of a man who's in his 80s or 90s. They didn't tell you that in Sunday school, did they? I didn't tell you he was an old man who had walked with God for many, many years. I want you to keep that perspective. Here is a man who has walked with God for nearly his entire life. Now, remember how we started this, this study? Go, go to Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 for a second. Chapter 1, verse 8, remember it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. This is as a teenager. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for the permission not to defile himself in this way. And guess what? When we come to chapter 6, when we come to the end of his life, guess what he's still doing? He's resolving not to defile himself. This time, not with the king's food. But this time he resolves not to defile himself by bowing down and praying to a pagan king. How is this man, how does he have such a courageous spirit? How does he have such a resolute heart? I mean, if you think about his life, he wasn't intimidated by powerful people and he wasn't frightened by difficult circumstances. He was resolute in his heart to honor God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at his life <clears throat> in chapter 6. And I want to give you tonight three goals for every believer. If you're, if you're a follower of God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to give you three goals for every believer based upon the life that Daniel lived. Again, let me say it, in his 80s or in his 90s. Here's the first goal. Live a, live a life of integrity. Live a life of integrity. 
I'm 58 years old. I want to live a life of integrity however long God gives me. If God allows me to live to 88, I want to be a man of integrity at 88. If, if he allows me to be 98, I want to be a man of integrity at 98. See, the more I study Daniel, the more there is something in my heart that wants to be like him. But let's see how, what, why we said live a life of integrity. Daniel chapter 6, we just walk through the text tonight, verse 1. It pleased Darius. Now, now remember who Darius is. Just for a moment, let's go back to chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. That very night, this is last Sunday we talked about this, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So, so don't forget that in one evening, the, the kingdom of Babylon was conquered. And now Darius, the Mede, is ruling over that kingdom of Babylon, and he is also ruling over the Jewish exiles who live there. So that's who we're talking about in chapter 6, verse 1. So here's what we find out. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So here's basically, he's setting up a new kingdom. And he knows that as he is ruler over this, over this kingdom, it's, it's awful easy to get ripped off. It's awful easy for the people under you to steal from you. And so the way that he sets up this kingdom is he's going to have how many satraps? 120 satraps. Now, now this, and I'm not even sure if I'm saying that correctly, but if I'm not... You, you won't know it either, probably so. So there's 120, well, maybe you will, so you can correct me later. So there's 120 satraps. Uh, basically, what that means is the kingdom was divided up into 120 provinces. The satrap was, was uh, ruling over each province. Now, who was ruling over the satraps? 120 satraps, how, who, who were ruling over them? Three administrators, right? And one of them was Daniel. So Daniel's already pretty high in this thing, isn't he? He's one of three rulers in the kingdom who, rule, who are serving under Darius. So are you following with me? I started to bring the board, but are you following? So you got king, then you have three administrators, one of whom is Daniel, and under them you have 120 province leaders. All right, let's see what happens. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So, this new king already picks up on the fact that Daniel, there's something special about this man. There's something different about this man. He hasn't even known him that long. But he recognizes he's an exceptional man. He's a faithful man. He's a man of integrity. And he determines, you know what, I'm just going to let him rule over everything. I'll let him rule over the whole kingdom for me. Now, word gets out what the king's plan is. How do you think the other two administrators felt about that? You're going to let a Jew rule over us? This exile? You're going to let this exiled Jew rule 
over us. Now, this is why it sounds like Washington, D.C. Watch what happens. See if this doesn't sound like your newspaper. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Doesn't that sound like today's newspapers? Let's see if we can dig up some dirt on him. That's what they were saying. Let's just see if we can dig up some dirt on him. We'll try our best to find... Surely we can... uh, Maybe somebody will come testify at the hearing against him. Right? And so they're looking in every dark corner of his life. They're peeking into every dark corner of his life. And guess what? They can't find anything against him. The only thing that they could could get him on was being a God guy. His commitment to God. Look at the words used to describe Daniel in verse 4. It says he's trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Hey, can can I say that if, if you're a follower of God... Those would be some good words to describe you, wouldn't they? Wouldn't it? Can, can those words describe you? Think of the way you're doing your business right now. Think of the way you, you do your job. Think of the way that you conduct yourself. Think of the way that you live your life. Do those words describe you? Trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Help me here. Uh, define the word integrity for me. How, how would you define the word integrity? Absolutely. How else? What's that? The way you act when no one's watching. Somebody described it this way. They said that uh, integrity is when you're whole inside and out. You're whole inside and out. That, that, that you're the same person. You're always the same regardless of where you are, regardless of what you're doing. You're always the same person. There's, there's integrity there. Do you know what impacts people around you? It's when they see that you're not a fake when they see that you're not a chameleon, when they see that you really are genuine, when they see that you really are real, that's when they see that you have something perhaps they don't have. I want you to think of somebody in your family, maybe, who is a man or woman of integrity. Some of you, you know who it is? It's your father. He was a man of integrity, wasn't he? Or maybe it's your mother. She was a woman of integrity. My dad died. People came. Dad had an appliance repair business. And um, I didn't know about a lot of these stories. And that's the way it is. I bet if you've ever lost your mom or your dad, you didn't know about all the stories. But I'd hear all these stories of how he conducted his business. Reputation that he had in in the city of Johnson City. 
I heard all kinds of stories of the, about the way that he gave his word and he honored it. He was a man, and my mom as well, a woman of integrity. It's very, very important to, to live that kind of lifestyle, to be a man or woman of integrity so that if you do have somebody that's trying to find something against you, they're not going to be able to find it because you're the same wherever you are, where, whatever you're doing. Now, I, I'm really torn here because I want to get into something that, that I'm... In my mind, I want to get into it, but, but my spirit says, no, you've got to wait. On November the 25th, we're going to be talking about persecution. Persec- the persecuted church on Sunday morning. But, but can we just pause here for a second? Have you, have you noticed in the Word of God, when you start reading it, it's everywhere. God's people being persecuted. It's everywhere. Here's Daniel. What's he doing? He's living a good godly life. He's a man of integrity. He's not trying to hurt anybody. He's just trying to live his life in the best way he knows how. He's just trying to live for God. And all of a sudden, he's got people against him, working against him to bring him down. People who are persecuting him and attacking him simply because of his faith. You're going to hear me say this on November 25th, but ladies and gentlemen, you and I should not be surprised when we're persecuted. It's all through the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. It's all through the Bible. Persecution is not abnormal. Persecution is normal. You're talking about God's people. And we don't want to hear that. And you're going to hear a lot of it on November 25th, Lord willing. We don't want to hear that because, you see, we live in the United States of America. We live where, by the, in the most, I mean, for mostly, it's not that hard to live for the Lord. You know? It's not that costly to live for the Lord. You could, you could be living in China right now. It's very costly. could be living in other parts of the world. You could have been born somewhere other than Powdersville. And you'd find it'd be very costly to live for the Lord. I, I need to shut up. I'm going to get off on that. And I'm trying to save it. All right, let's, let's, let's just... Look at the text and see what happens. So the administrators, <clears throat> so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an eat that's a lie. It's a lie because they said, Hey, We've all agreed. Have you heard that before? We've all agreed. Daniel wasn't there. Daniel's one of the administrators. Daniel wasn't consulted. Daniel didn't have input. Daniel didn't agree. But these liars and lawyers and all that people were there. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, that that is, Daniel would be in that group. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. You're the new king of this conquered uh, kingdom, Babylon, the Babylonians. And what better way to kind of bring everybody together? What better way to show that you're in charge? What better way to, to demonstrate your authority than to issue this decree that for one month, everybody prays to you, the new king? Kind of would boost your ego a little bit, wouldn't it? I mean, isn't that a little tempting to the flesh to say, hey, let, let's, we've all talked about it, King. We've all talked about it. We think the best way for you to start out your new reign here in Babylon, it, we've all talked about it. We've all agreed, every one of us. We, we've all said this is a good idea. We think the best thing for you to do is to issue this decree that everybody prays to you for a month. We'll let you be God for a month so he says okay let's do that and he put it in writing notice what it says in verse 8 now the king issued the decree put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians which cannot be repealed uh, the law of the Medes and Persians basically is exactly what it says is once something is issued once something is written once something is recorded as law it could not be changed it could not be altered in any way Now, let me pause for a second. You talk to me. Why did they have this decree made? Say it louder. <clears throat> and this is just discussion. This is just ideas. Why, why was it about prayer, though? How did they know about Daniel and his prayer life? He was faithful. What did you say? Let's read and find out. It's interesting. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. I said, number one, one of the goals for your life should be to live a life of integrity. Number two, another goal for your life is this. Write this down. See prayer as a non-negotiable part of your life. See prayer as a non-negotiable part of your life. I want you to see a phrase in verse 10 that I think is a very important phrase. When... Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. And here's the phrase, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. What does that phrase mean to you? Just as he had done before. He, he was consistent. It was his habit. Prayer was something that was just part of his life, wasn't it? Three times a day, for many, many years, Daniel had prayed. The, the traditional Jewish time of prayer in the Old Testament was 9 o'clock in the morning, noon, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 9 o'clock in the morning, noon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And for many, many years, 
Daniel had honored that tradition. For many, many years, he had gone to his home where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Why opening toward Jerusalem? They didn't have a temple. They were in a conquered land or a, a, a pagan land. They were conquered people living in a pagan land. They didn't have a temple to go to. So they opened the windows toward Jerusalem. By the way, uh, put your finger in Daniel and go over to the left and find 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. When Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem, he was claiming the prayer promise, I believe, of Solomon in 1 Kings 8, verse 28 and following. Verse 28, Solomon has, has built the temple, and in 1 Kings 8, here's what we read, verse 28, Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. And watch verse 29 and 30. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Not in this place, but sometimes toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. And look at verse 38. And when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people Israel, each one aware of the afflictions of his own heart and spreading out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act and deal with each man according to all he does, since you know his heart, for you alone know the hearts of all men. So when Daniel goes to his home and he opens his window toward Jerusalem, and when he prays at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he prays at noon, and he prays at 3 in the afternoon, and he's praying toward the temple, he's honoring this tradition and this prayer prayed by Solomon. So, get this. He go, when he hears about this decree... He, he goes and does what he's always done. But my question is this. Is there any other way he could have done this? Now think before you say no. Who said that? Yeah. Could, he could have closed the windows. What else could he have done? I'm sorry? Could have gone to another place to pray. Yeah, absolutely. What else could he have done? He could have stopped praying, but yeah. Could have gone into a closet somewhere, yeah. Anybody ever heard of silent prayer? Doesn't God hear silent prayer? Do you, I mean, do you, have to, do you have to open your window? Oh, God of heaven! Can't you just kind of sit in your house and silently pray? So my question, and, and this is just speculation, my question is, why did Daniel do it that way? He'd always done it that way, yeah. His integrity, yeah, man of integrity, had always done it that way. That's good. What else? Unashamed, absolutely. I like that, unashamed. 
Yeah. He wanted them to know, I'm not going to change anything. And in fact, that's going to be my third point here in a minute. You're absolutely right. My answer would be this. Because that's the way he's always lived his life. Remember chapter 1, verse 8? Daniel was resolute in his heart. He had always, even since he was a teenager, he had always honored the Lord. He was not about to let a pagan king tell him to do otherwise. So as an 80-year-old man or a 90-year-old man, having walked with the Lord for all of these years, he went up to his house, he opened the windows toward Jerusalem. And he wasn't trying to put on show, but he was trying to make sure, I'm going to honor the Lord God. He was resolute in his heart. Now, um, I'm, I'm cutting out some things here. Forgive me for pausing. Um, let's go to number three. Let's go on to number... Well, let's read verse 11. I've got to get back to Daniel chapter 6. Let's read verse 11. Then these men, then these men went as a group, and guess what? They found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So, they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did, did you publish, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, uh, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. They must have been smiling when they heard him say that. Verse 13, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. Isn't that interesting? They didn't say Daniel, who is one of the administrators. Uh-uh. No, no, this is kind of anti-Semitic language here. Daniel Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Not necessarily angry, distressed. Here's why. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. It's interesting, isn't it? He liked Daniel. So when he heard that Daniel wasn't praying to him, when he heard that Daniel was breaking the law, when he heard that Daniel was refusing to bow down, it wasn't like, I'm out to get him. It was like, I need to, I need to do something to save him. He was impressed by Daniel. He liked Daniel. Then the men went as a group. <clears throat> Verse 15, Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That is a beautiful statement. May your God, who you serve continually, Rescue you. Here's a third goal for our lives as believers. 
Rehearse with me. What's the first one? Live a life in integrity. What's the second one? Yeah, here's the third one. Realize that your assignment never changes even when your circumstances do. Your assignment never changes even when your circumstances do. You see, no matter what your age, whether you're a teenager or a senior citizen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your assignment never changes. Your circumstances will. All the changes that Daniel endured in his life, all of the changes that he went through, what were they? Well, his home changed. He went from Jerusalem to Babylon. But yet, he continued to serve God continually. His job changed. Had different kinds of jobs based on who the king was and what had happened. And yet he served God continually. He became the third highest ruler in the country of Babylon. Yet, even though his circumstances changed, he served God continually. His leaders changed. He served under at least six different kings. Six different kings. And yet, though his circumstances changed, he served God continually. Not only that, he changed. Anybody agree there's a difference between a teenager and a 90-year-old? Yeah, he changed. He got older. Life got harder. Yet, he served God continually. Not only that, people sometimes praised him, and then now in chapter 6, they want to kill him. And yet... He served God continually. And it wasn't a preacher who said that about him. It was a pagan king who recognized that in him. Hey, church, can I ask you a question? Do the pagans who know you, do they know that you serve God continually? I mean, is it so evident that even the pagans around you know Serve God continually. You see, your circumstances in life will change. Mine will as well. But if you're going to be the kind of person that God can use, your circumstances may change, but your assignment doesn't. So what's the assignment? It's simply this. Bring glory to God in everything you do. Let me look at the text with you and show you what we're talking about. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace, spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. The the king really liked Daniel. He was tore up that Daniel was going to be torn up by the lions. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, here he says it again, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? 
I, I, when I read that, I thought, what a hilarious statement. Is your God bigger than the lions? Daniel, are you still alive? I just need to know if your God is more powerful than the lions. See what happens. Verse 21, Daniel answered, O king, live forever. <laughs> I'm still here. Uh, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. Hint, hint. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Sounds a lot like the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, doesn't it? Remember when they came out of the fiery furnace, there was no smell of smoke on them. Verse 24. Well, wait a minute, before I get to 24, let me ask you this question. Um, Could God have just put those lions to sleep without the angel? Could he have commanded the angel? Could, could God have commanded the lions, shut your mouth? Absolutely. Why do you think he sent the angel? Give him comfort. Yeah. The visible sign of his presence. Y'all are teaching good tonight. Remember the fiery furnace? The pagan king says, didn't we throw three in the fire? Why did why, I see four? God could have done all of that without getting into the fire with them. But I just love the fact that when we're in the midst of the fire, when we're in the midst of lions then, guess who's with us in that? They bring him out of the lions then. There's, nothing, no, there's no wound on him at all. At the king's command, verse 24, this is where it gets a little gruesome. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and their children, which is tragic to think about. Now again, God didn't say this is what you need to do, but that's what the pagan king did in response. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. This is his letter that he sends to everybody. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. I don't know if anybody's ever written anything quite as wonderful as that as the pagan king about God. Look what he said about God. He is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. I mean, I don't know a Baptist alive that could write something better than that. And this was a pagan king. Daniel had an impact on him. He rescues. And he saved. this is the pagan king, again, still writing. 
He rescues and He saves and He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion's den. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Here's what we learn from Daniel and with this I'll close. When trouble comes and when things get worse, your assignment never changes. When trouble comes and things get worse, your assignment never changes. Your assignment is to live in such a way that you honor God in all that you do. So, if trouble comes and you end up in a hospital bed, or if trouble comes and you're broke, trouble comes and life is more than you can handle, when your circumstances change, your assignment never does. And the, the positive side of that is even true. If you make more money than you've ever made in your life, when your circumstances changes for the good, your assignment never changes to bring glory to God by the way that you live. The older I get, the more I want to be like Daniel. I don't want to go in the lion's den if I can avoid it. But I want to be that kind of man that lives with that kind of integrity. It's trying to bring honor and glory to God who is resolute in his heart that he's going to live for the Lord. Now the last thing I want you to see is in verse... We, we don't have time to, to dig into this and it's just speculation on my part. But verse 28 I think is, is fascinating. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and, and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Do you know anything about Cyrus the Persian? Do you know anything in relation to what he did for the Jews? Cyrus the Persian, who later would take over, is the man who gave the Jews permission to go back to Jerusalem and help them rebuild their temple. He's the man who said, okay, you're free to go home. You've been captive here long enough. You're free to go home. And in fact, I'm going to help you not only get home, I'm going to help you financially rebuild your temple. Could it be? Just speculation. Could it be that the reason he was so favorable towards the Jews was because of his relationship with Daniel and his admiration for this Jew named Daniel? I don't know. It's an intriguing thing. It's an intriguing thing that maybe Daniel late in life as he, as he in fact we, scholars believe that Daniel got to live long enough that he saw Cyrus's edict that allowed the people of God to go back home. That he lived long enough to see that. He didn't get to go back home. He died in Babylon, but he lived long enough to, to see the edict that Cyrus wrote. Could it be that Cyrus had gotten to know this Jew, this exile, and got so impressed with him that he had a favorable opinion of all the Jews. And God used that to change Cyrus's heart to allow the Jews to go back home. Might just be. Absolutely. He was a lot like Joseph. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. I like that. Here's my point. You never know. 
You never know what impact you're going to have on somebody else. Go be a Daniel. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for uh, giving us your word and for encouraging us to live lives that matter and live lives of integrity and live lives in a way that bring you honor and glory rather than us. Help us to be a Daniel this week. In Jesus' name.